Engaging Leader Podcast, Episode 66, Gutsy, How Women Leaders Make Change, featuring Sylvia LaFair. Leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. I'm excited to welcome back to the Engaging Leader, Sylvia LaFair. Sylvia recently joined us on episode 55 when we talked about how pattern-aware leadership drives change. Sylvia is president of Creative Energy Options, which is shortened to CEO, and she has a doctorate in clinical psychology. She's taught at the university level, teaches workshops all over the country, and she's back with us today to talk about her latest book, Gutsy, How Women Leaders make change. It's a book that teaches how to take patterns that women tend to have and turn them into opportunities as leaders for positive change. Sylvia, welcome back to The Engaging Leader. Oh, delighted to be back, Jesse. You're a great interviewer. Lots of fun. Oh, good. And you're a great guest. A lot of fun, too. Now, we can talk about why you wrote this book from your clinical background and your consulting background, but when it came down to it, what really made you decide to write a book specifically for women leaders? Well, you know, it's interesting. As I went back to say, what is that that thing that's made that itch I can't scratch? I've got to write this book. And I thought about it, and it was watching my father die of a heart attack when I was 14, lit a fire under my butt to live a life of outrageous adventure. Hmm. And it was the beginning for me. It was one of those defining moments, and, you know, it was a sad one, obviously, And then watching my mother after my father died, who was like a deer in the headlights for a great deal of time till she finally shook it off and became what I'll call gutsy in those days, made me think we all need to go back and find those defining moments that make us understand. I mean, I have had outrageous adventures, and that's another book, (laughs) Climbing the Pyramid Under a Full Moon. At 2 o'clock in the morning in in Giza, not knowing it was illegal till we got down. (laughs) (laughs) That was outrageous. (laughs) So um, I I wanted to to help women really be able to look at their lives in in, in the fullness of where they are now and go back, find those defining moments, and see how they really made a difference and in the direction that they have gone and wish to go in the future. So it was really a work that had more passion in it than an an academic exercise for me, certainly. Yeah, what what was it when when your dad died, what was kind of unique there? He had sort of set a certain pattern for your family. Well, you know, it's interesting. We were a very nice, good, proper family, and um, adventures were for the rich and the famous, and we were practical. So it was about making sure that the lawn was mowed and the washing machine was working, and, and, you know, there wasn't a lot of room for looking at dreams. 
and I watched my mother, who was a product of the uh, the fifties and sixties. Um, I was more of the let's make change happen, but I felt myself harnessed back because being practical had more value than being outrageous. So you know, being a a, a, a good solid citizen, you didn't adventure much. So I had to watch my mother. I mean, I had to. I did. I watched my mother. And in the beginning of Gutsy, I really talk about how I would sit at the top of the stairs and listen to her and her friends talk. And I always knew that there had to be another way to look at things. So when she, it was interesting, as she began to grow into herself, um, certainly a different era and a different time than, than I have had the opportunity to do. It, it was those moments when you say there has to be a better way or a different way or a way that's more my way. And that's what Gutsy's about. I mean, I really, when I first started writing it, Jesse, uh, I, I, I was thinking more in the academic, you know, fill in the timeline And then as I began to write more, I thought, no, this is about really those emotional moments that strike a chord and make a difference. And your story comes up, you sort of weave that throughout the book, but that's not the only big story in the book. There's a, the story of Kathy that you take us through in the book makes this book feel similar to me like a lot of the the hottest business books today where they're written in a parable and there's a continuing story, but it feels a lot more r- realistic. It's not just this made-up story. I, this this Kathy seems like a real person. What, what's the story going on there? Oh, Kathy's a real person, and I did ask her permission as I was writing the book. I mean, we changed her name and the uh, you know the industry she's in because I, I it, it wasn't something she said she didn't care if I used her name even used her full name but it wasn't about that it was about taking someone who you know I do a lot of coaching individual and group coaching and we have an incredible leadership program that goes through a lot of this also so I had done um, individual work with Kathy and she also went into our leadership program, and she's at the top of her game right now. And her kids are now growing, and we're watching where they are. But I have to just say, I have to tell you the very funny story because you watch Next Generations. So I have two daughters. They're both grown, and I have a couple of grandkids. And my older daughter, Michaela, is actually a, a much better writer than I am. She's very, very talented and is writing a book about her own adventures. And I said, would you mind reading the manuscript? So she called me and she said, Mom, the title of the book is Gutsy. So she said, I have to be gutsy. She said, I have to tell you, it's terrible. (laughs) And I went, you've got to be kidding. She said, no. And this is when it was still in its academic mode. Mm. She said, it's like reading a research project that I'd have to do in college and it would be painful. So I said, well, what do you think? And, And we started talking. And that's when the idea came for me to, I started telling a story about Kathy, and she said, well, call Kathy and see if she'll let you use her story. And I literally had to rewrite the whole book. Mm. So there's a gutsy daughter and a gutsy (laughs) client that I had, and coming together with me and memories of my mother, we have the whole weaving of gutsy in the book. Kathy is real, and what happened with her is true. 
so, yeah, I use some of myself, but I also really show how she evolved. And when the book starts out, she's facing a dilemma. She has just been tapped to join the executive team for a large company, and yet she's and she's the only woman on the team, and she's not really taken seriously, is she? That's true. And, it, you know, as, as we've made, we as women have made many, many strides, and the, the flavor of the work world is changing. Um, we have a long way to go, and it's not about women taking over, and it's not about women leading as women and leaving the men behind. I mean, clearly, by the end of the book, I'm talking very much about how we communicate and collaborate with our male colleagues. And and it's really both at home and at work and, and, and in our communities. I mean, if we're not going to do that, we're back in the old bra-burning days and um, the angry moments that had to occur in the women's movement. As I do, did research, I mean, I had a lot of fun doing the research, looking back, going all the way back to the beginning of our country and people you know, like Jane Addams, who, 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 who made comments about if we don't include women, there's going to be a lot of anger as time goes on. I, I don't have the exact quote in front of me. Um, up to the women's movement and, you know, things like Bella Abzug saying, we have come up from the laundry room and down from the pedestal. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that. The other quote I found that I just have to share right here that just cracked me up was, sometimes a pair of good shoes really can make a difference. <laughs> and that quote is from Cinderella. <laughs> <laughs> As a guy reading the book, I was, first of all, surprised that I got sucked in and read the whole thing. I found a page turner all the way to the end. I was con constantly thinking, wow, this is very important for my wife. Wow, this is very important for my daughters. Wow, this is really important for me to work better with my female colleagues. I was, I was surprised by both the, your, your guidance on, for, to help women become more gutsy, but it still it was in more of a collaborative tone relative to some, a lot of the literature that's out there now is, is not that collaborative. For example, a couple of years ago, I remember reading a, a very thought-provoking article, I think it was in the Atlantic Monthly, called The End of Men, and that was basically pointing out that, hey, there's more women in universities now than men. Women are joining the ranks of executive teams faster than ever before. And perhaps in this 21st century, women are actually just by, you know, by basic natural wiring and so forth, better as leaders in the complex realities of the 21st century than men. And so maybe we really don't, we're going to see men become a much less significant part of corporate America. And that's not really your vision, I think, in, in this book, is it? Oh, absolutely not. My vision here is about co-creation and collaboration and the differences and how do you dialogue about the differences? You know, it's very funny. As I was researching the book, my husband found some things that he would give to me. And he said one day, I'm really mad at you. I said, why? He said, you have more strands in your brain 
You have more white matter in your brain, so you can go across, you know, from left brain to right brain more quickly. It's not fair. And I cracked up. And I said, well, you know, I, I started looking more deeply, and it is true. We do have more uh, uh, strands of white matter in our brains, and men have more gray matter. And it does go back to cave people times when men had to be the hunters and they would go out. I mean, otherwise we would have starved, but they would go out and they'd have to be quiet and very focused on a specific goal. Yeah, you know, like paying football, very focused on a specific goal. Get over that, get that ball into the end zone and over the goal line. And it was necessary for that, whereas women who were busy with a gazillion kids also were the gatherers, and they would go out in groups and talk so that the little animals would be scared away and they could gather and they were always looking at what they needed, the berries and the grains that they would bring back. And so it's very interesting that we are hardwired for some of this. And rather than point fingers and say, well, you know, you guys, you're just too focused on the goal and we're much better at being, you know, collaborators, is to say, okay, how can we do it differently? So, Jesse, this is what I came up with that men were more daring. That's a fact. Hmm. Women were more caring. That's a fact. We're shifting, and I think it'll probably do something to our brain physiology over the you know generations, but I believe that if women become more daring and men become more caring, the equation is daring plus caring equals sharing. Mm. How's that for good? I like it. <laughs> it's easy to remember. Yeah. And as I was writing, that's when one day I kind of got it. And I ran and I said to my husband, it doesn't matter if I have, if you have more gray matter and I'm more white, you know. And um, that day he went and did, did the laundry. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so he was doing the sharing and I was out there, you know, putting this book together, doing the daring. And uh, I can see a difference in our relationship from having written the book. So it's not necessarily that we need to pretend that there's no difference between men and women, but understanding some of the differences and and how we can basically put those together to create something even better is, is sort of the end result. Well, I think that's where it is. And at the end of the book, I have baby steps, next steps, larger steps, you know, have something about what steps that, again, this is for women, but it's, it's men can certainly look and see too, and it's doing things you've never done before, which is what being gutsy is all about, and um, men can be gutsy. Um, I was telling you before that they would like my husband to write a book for men called Ballsy, so <laughs> will he or won't he? I can't write that one. <laughs> to men. Maybe you will, Jesse. Maybe. <laughs> but what's interesting is, so I have a lot of questions back there, and one of them for me that's so critical, and this means a dialogue between men and women, and especially parents, but not necessarily only parents, and that is, what is the difference between child care and caring for children? I mean, that's a big one, mm-hmm. and it impacts the workplace. It impacts everything because we look at work-life balance, and women are still saying 
it's not fair, we still do more of the work than men. Well, there's a dialogue that has to be responded to. Again, and I'll throw this out, and I did say this to my husband, that um, men who do either some cooking or the laundry have more positive affection in many areas from their wives than they would if they don't. Mm. So there's been research on that. So, you know, you have to do the daring and the caring to make the sharing. That reminds me of one of my favorite books that I've never read but got great inspiration just from the title uh, by Kevin Lehman. It's called Sex Begins in the Kitchen. That's it. <laughs> I just saw the title and I, and I got it. I, oh, I, th- I think I get that. I understand. <laughs> so you just needed the title. Good. <laughs> so do you do the laundry or cook, my dear? I do. Uh, it depends on which stage of life and time of the year. Uh, but if you look over the course of our married lives together, I've done a great deal of dishes and laundry. Right now, I am not doing a whole lot of either one of those, though, I have to admit. All right. Well, things go through phases. Mm-hmm. But for me, and in the workplace, it's very interesting. And this is where, you know, in the gutsy book, I have it carved out to go through all the stages of development to find those defining moments from birth up till wherever we are in the present time. And the other story for me, which is very powerful with my mother, is uh, around the issue of birth because there are things, if you ask, you'll find out. I was not supposed to be born. I have an older brother and... Uh, He's six years older than I am, and then my mother ended up having uh, an infection and had a kidney removed. She was basically told not to have any more children, and she had that flavor of gutsiness in her, and as the story is told, she went to a half a dozen doctors, and five of them said, no, you're crazy, don't have any more children, you'll risk your life. And the sixth one said, I see you really want this. It'll be between you, me, and God or the universe, whatever the, the, the physician said to her. So she went back and said to my father, the doctor said, it's fine, get in bed. <laughs> <laughs> now, fortunately, it was an easy pregnancy and an easy delivery. If, if the story had been other, that would have been a much more defining moment for me. But it really... It set in motion for me that um, there was uh, more to life than that, that, that I was charged on some level with doing something that took courage because ultimately the courage she had in birthing me was huge. So I've always been able to stretch my goals a little bit that way. That's a great story, and it shows how the, the book, you, you sort of take your readers through this process of observing, understanding, and transforming, which is still, it relates to what we talked about before regarding pattern awareness leadership. And the I was fascinated in, in this observe section where you're really encouraging people to take note of patterns in their lives, especially take note of all the big firsts that happen. So uh, what's the story about your birth, which most of us never even stop and think about how that might have impacted the circumstances around our uh, childhood and, and child rearing, 
But but other first, uh, you mentioned, really, I was surprised how much they really do make a difference, like when you first went to school or your first job out in, when you started your career. Well, the, all of these firsts, you, you begin to look at, and then you see, you just let yourself have an emotional reaction. Some will have a charge to them, and you say, there's, there's pay dirt here. There's something to work with. Some won't, and you put that aside, and maybe later it will. But um, what I did, again, as I went through all these stages from toddlerhood, and one I loved was, you know, the kids who are uh, preteens, where it's too young for boys and too old for toys, that kind of in-between place, and how do you find where your talents and passions are? I also believe, and, you know, we do this really, really fun women's weekend, surprisingly called Gutsy, (laughs) (laughs) and we're doing one. It's in the East Coast, so if anybody listening happens to be near uh, the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania or you want to fly, we have people flying in from South Carolina and from New Orleans and from San Francisco for this one um, at our retreat center in Pennsylvania so it's a Friday evening through um, Sunday after brunch and uh, getting a group of women together to begin to explore things that often don't get talked about and find their aha moment and those defining moments where you say, I never realized that that's what forged me to become who I am. It's very powerful to observe that and understand it, and then make the decision, as you were talking about, Jesse, we call it the out technique, observe, understand, and then transform the behavior patterns that we've outgrown and we still feel stuck with. And as we talked about uh, on the prior episode, that's not to say to be somebody you aren't. It's taking patterns that are a part of you and transforming them into something that's uh, healthier for you and, and not necessarily just uh, abracadabra, but more like a, the way a, a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. It's, it's the same underlying stuff that's there, but it's what, what do you do with it? Well, I think that's where, as a species, and also just watching all the nuttiness that happened in Washington, we're at this place of saying we have to find a better way. I believe we've created an addiction to intensity, and that's why we keep getting to the edge of this cliff, that we don't drop off, we keep coming back, but it's like it, it, our society has created that addiction to intensity. And we have to say, is that really serving us? Is that really working? Where did it come from? And how do you transform it into what I call, as you just said, it's healthy and positive opposite. What I know from the work that I'm doing is it's A, doable, B, it doesn't take years. It just takes a certain amount of intention. And um, everybody I know who has worked with these patterns, including me, is happier when I'm able to say, whoops, I'm starting to slide down that slippery slope. For me, one of them is to be um, a drama queen or a pleaser, and many, many women in in this world are pleasers, uh, but it doesn't serve us. So how do you quickly take a breath, see it, 
say, okay, I get it came from blah, blah, blah from when I was younger, and now it's in my responsibility realm to change it quickly. Happens. Can be done. Let me bring in our our listening audience into this conversation. I have a question here from Megan that I'd like to share with you. This is Megan Burns, and I blog at thenaptimeceo.com. It seems like historically, women leaders tend to be categorized as either pushover or pushy. So how does the gutsy model avoid either of those stereotypes? Oh, that's that's a great question. And yeah, we, we have been either, uh, you know, pushover or pushy, pushy, you know, bitchy, nasty, mean-spirited, you know, and we have had been categorized at uh, either end of that bell-shaped curve. <laughs> Let me talk a little bit about the pushover who is usually the pleaser, and the pleaser is so ingrained in, in the female psyche, and that's somebody who will say, sure, yes, whatever, you know, I'll put myself last. It's the pleaser or the martyr, and what we have to do is the pleaser transformed becomes a truth teller. Now, the truth teller, as I see it, Jesse, is about telling the truth without spilling your guts. It's a disciplined, high-level art form. And I think women who are pleasers who have said yes, 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 can learn to say, no, I'm sorry, that won't work for me. You know, um, I have something else to do right now without all the guilt that comes with it. It takes some work. And we've been put into that pendulum, or as I said, either end of the bell-shaped curve. But that's what we do with stereotypes. Mm -hmm. And none of us are stereotypes. We're human beings. It's just crazy. We have to work with it. So the pleaser becomes a truth teller. And it's a very freeing thing. I'll give you a quick example. In a program I was doing, there was a man who was the owner of, of this company, and his general manager had a team, and they, we were having a meeting. We were consulting with them. And he said, I just, uh, I'm thinking about buying another company. That had nothing to do with their core business. And you just saw it was mostly females on this leadership team. They just all deflated, and they sat there. And the uh, a general manager who had been in our Total Leadership Connections program was in the middle of it and was learning about being a pleaser and transforming that to truth teller, took a deep breath, and I was curious. I thought, mm, I wonder if she's going to say something or not. I mean, this wasn't my job. I had to sit there and watch this. And finally she turned to him and she said, I really don't think it's a good idea. And he said, well, you never say that. She said, that's been the problem. <laughs> and she said, look at the team. They are exhausted, and when you said buy another company, they could barely breathe. Well, anyway, we did a smart thing, and we took a break. And this gentleman and, and the, the general manager and I went into another room, and he looked at her. He said, I don't like this. I like when you say, sure, let's do it. That, <laughs> to him, gutsy for him was being a pleaser. And she said, look, I can't do it anymore. I'm at the end of my energy limit, and they are too. And you're going to have people start to leave if you keep this up. So he, we, we took enough of a break that he needed to sleep on it. And the next day he came back, 
and he said to the group, I'm going to put the new business on hold. And he turned to Laura and he said, thank you for having the courage to speak out in a way that made me rethink things. So, you know, we have to take the chances, but, you know, and she didn't do it to be pushy. She did it at that middle place, you know, that healthy place of transformation. That makes sense. It does. I'm, I'm thinking back to the story of Kathy, who from your book, and she just was tapped to be on this executive team. She was picked because she was had certain um, qualities and was very good. And yet there was the, this expectation from seemed like almost all the men on the team that she be a, a pushover. And it's almost like because they were afraid of what she might be if she was instead pushy. She she had real resistance when she did sort of get over to the pushy side of that spectrum. And so it's like, because it's almost like they had this stereotype. She's either going to be, women leaders are either pushovers or pushy, and I guess we'd rather have them be pushovers then because they're a lot easier to work with. Well, you know, it's interesting because the the stereotype makes us not hear what the real person is saying. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very interesting because Kathy, in taking a stand for herself, was helping to readjust the whole team to listen differently. But in their minds, they had to see her as, you know, the the uh, who Meryl Streep played in The Devil Wears Prada, as this really nasty, you know, screaming woman, because we have created those kinds of polarized visions in our mind so we don't really hear the right per- the, the person so as women move to this it's really important to find to craft our language so that we can be heard that's why i say telling the truth is such a high art form and to challenge back and to say i'm not sure you're hearing me and saying things like i do not want to be put in that stereotyped box. Tell me what you're hearing and let's talk about it again. And I believe, I mean, I don't know, but I think, you know, the next election round, unless I'm reading things wrong, and I'm not judging politics, I'm just talking about what I see, is that we will have a a woman run for president, Hillary, and it will be interesting to watch all the old stereotypes and prejudices Mm that came out before and then they stopped because she didn't get the election, you know, she didn't get the nomination. So we're at a different place of saying, when are we going to see ourselves as human beings? And, you know, the stories over and over, Sheryl Sandberg in her book, Lean In, Mm -hmm. she's done some great stuff in there. But I also, for me, the big thing is there are times that we need to lean out. (laughs) We don't always have to lean in. We don't always have to be in that place of that level of leadership. And um, so we have to look and say, what does my own life story, where is it directing me? And what do I need? And how can I become the best I can be? But I am pretty clear that speaking out and being gutsy is is part. And gutsy is a very positive word people love the title of the book because what they they hear in the word gutsy is a certain freedom but not a nastiness 
you know, my background with a Ph.D. in psychology, and I was a family therapist for a long time, and it's a wonderful field, and it has real importance. I left it because I needed to find something that was going to work more quickly and effectively for a larger number of people. And what I have found is as people do this work, when they look at it from the workplace model, they then bring it home. I didn't see as much of people learning it at home, bringing it to work. So, you know, it has a double double effect in learning it, thinking about your workplace. But here's the out technique what I want you to get is once you begin to observe the patterns that are no longer working for you and they're pretty easy to see, there's the Pattern Aware Quiz on my Sylvia LaFayre website. It's a free quiz. You will quickly find out what patterns I call are sticky. And some of you may know them, but many of us, when we take the quiz, go, gosh, I never thought of it that way before. Once we can say, yes, that is me, Sylvia, the drama queen, Sylvia, the pleaser, once we can do that, the pattern loosens its hold. It can't be as tight. I I can't explain it. I don't have a scientific neurological explanation. It's almost like there's a knot. K-N-O-T, in our nervous system, that is also a not, N-O-T. I am not good enough. I am not capable. I am not pretty enough. I am not, you know, able to take the job, whatever it is. So it it goes to the place that the not, the K-N-O-T, is loosened. Now, once you take the time, which is what you can do fairly quickly in the Gutsy book, is to look at understanding where it came from and those defining moments that I'm talking about, it loosens its hold even more. It really almost is a knot, K-N-O-T, untying itself. Then you have to put some strength training in. Everything that's worthwhile takes effort, become a master of it, but it doesn't take forever. Within three months, these changes can occur so that they won't come back at the level they were before. It won't be that boomerang effect. So it's observe, the knot is loosened. Understand, the knot is loosened even more. Put some elbow grease in and transform it, and the knot is untied. And that's where the freedom of new creativity comes in, and passion and excitement and things like, I'm going to do this and I never thought I could, and people do it and celebrate it. So obviously you can tell us from my talking, I'm pretty passionate about this. Very much. And rather than asking people to go for months and years laying on a psychiatrist's couch, the book and the workshop are much more action-based through this out process. Observe, understand, transform. And we're talking about maybe as little as three months where you can see a real differences take place. And we will put on our show notes the link to your website, sylvialafaire.com, and we'll share your Twitter profile, which is just at sylvialafaire, L-A-F-A-I-R, and uh, we'll link to your book and the workbook on Amazon. The book is Gutsy, How Women Leaders Make Change. Sylvia Lafaire, President of Creative Energy Options, thanks for joining us again on Engaging Leader. Oh, and thanks for all your wonderful questions and comments. All right, Engagers, that wraps up this episode of The Engaging Leader. You can find the show notes at engagingleader.com 
forward slash 66 as in episode 66. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Seal, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.